is Scotty Barnes the next Michael Carter Williams? Should Pascal Siakam just retire? Should we just contract the Raptors and send them to the CEBL so they compete against the Scarborough Shooting Stars? In today's show, we're previewing the Toronto Raptors for the upcoming season. Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it. Indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore B-Ball on TikTok at RedRock underscore B-Ball and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Thank you for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and we are available on all platforms. We're here to do the Toronto Raptors season preview and many of you think that I hate Canada, and that I hate the Raptors, and you ask why. Um, well, you know, I used to used to have a, a girlfriend that um, you wouldn't have known her. She went to school in Canada, actually. Uh, it didn't work out, so that's where we're at. I don't hate the Raptors. I love Canada. I, I love being in Canada. It's just that anytime you say anything that's marginally neutral about a Raptors player or anything, you get this bunch of insane fans who lose their mind. And it's going to happen in today's show. This is not me talking about the Raptors because I hate them. This is me trying to be absolutely like neutral. And I am because I actually really like the Raptors as a franchise. I don't like what they're doing at the moment. The direction is very weird. And I would would say that the results would prove that I've been correct on that. But I don't hate them. So whatever I say here is just me evaluating the team. And if you're a Raptors fan, you probably just won't like it because you think that everyone is the best. And I get it. It's what fandom is. I like your players. I like your team. I actually really like your GM as well. I do. I just think he's making questionable decisions. So we've got all that out of the way. We're going to talk about Toronto Raptors for the upcoming season. Just quickly though, Locked on Fantasy Basketball Bowl. The drafts are set to start in a few days. And again, please make sure that if you have received an invite, you accept it. I'm going to fill out all of the divisions today. So there is going to be an entry form linked below. If you want to get in, get it in there. Um, Because there are going to be people who have got invites and then they just don't do it. So I'm going to need even reserves as well. So even if I do send and you watch this show two days later and I've sent out all the invitations today, be ready that you could get a call up in the next two to three days. But I can't call you up if I don't have your email details. So drop it in the entry form linked down below. It's in the show notes as well on audio. There is there seems to be some confusion. A slow draft, guys, is a snake draft. It is that is all it is. It just takes a long time between each pick. Fab is a way of acquiring free agents through the season through a daily auction process, where you have a budget for the year and you say I'd like this guy and whoever puts the most money on him gets him onto their team. But the draft is a slow snake draft with third round reversal. You will get your draft order once I have confirmed everyone is paid up in your division. So be on the lookout for those emails during the week or during the next couple of days, actually. And if I don't have everyone paid up in your division, the draft will just get pushed back six hours, eight hours, 24 hours, whatever it needs to be. It's going to be a lot of work for me to sort it out, but that's what's going to happen. 
The FBI LOFB World Cup drafts also start next week. There are a few spots left in that. Hit up B-Dub on Twitter at HiddenUpside to work out how you can get into that as well. There's a few couple of spots left, not many. We are talking about the Toronto Raptors here for this upcoming season for fantasy. And as I said, I'm a little confused about their overall direction, but it just seems every time that we think maybe they're going to do something, they're going to get in a trade here, they're going to trade this guy, they're going to sign this guy, nothing happens. So while you might have some skepticism, what happens with Ananobi? Is it free agent upcoming? Maybe. Player option. Siakam going to go, upcoming free agent. In the end, this team just does nothing with any of it. So maybe we have a level, maybe that's helpful and we have a level of confidence of where they're going to be. They have 47 quality games. It's a pretty good number. It's up in the higher end. So drafting, again, use these as tiebreakers. If you're in a situation where you cannot decide between two players, a higher quality game number is better. So it gives you maybe, let's say, a, let's as an arbitrary number, say it gives a three-spot ranking boost. That's about it. They've got 14 back-to-backs. That's smack in the middle. They've got 13 maximum game weeks, which is on the low side. Doesn't really make that much of a difference in their playoffs. 3-4-3 um, three, three, if you end on 24th of March, which is what I recommend. That's week 21 for those of you on Yahoo. It's week 22 if your league doesn't combine the playoffs together. Oh, sorry, the All-Star week together. But it's just March 24th. Uh, 433, 31st of March, 334 for the Yahoo default. That's pretty poor for 7th of April. And 344 for the final week of the season on ESPN, which is one week less than, or one game less than maximum over that three week period. What are the pressure points? Well, there's no Nick Nurse. And we know that Nick Nurse provided some unbelievable value for fantasy because Siakam would play 38 minutes a night, and Anobi would get 36, and Barnes would get 35, and Van Vliet would get 36. And if you're off the bench, you just would never play. But we knew that. We knew what was going to happen. We had a consistency with it. They've got a new coach, Darko Ryakovic, who comes from Memphis. And Memphis is basically the absolute polar opposite of how Toronto would operate. Taylor Jenkins would keep his players. Like, Jaron Jackson didn't get into foul trouble much last season. He played 30 minutes a night, 29 minutes a night, actually. John Morant plays 32-33. Bain plays 32. No one plays big minutes. Now, sometimes we can fall into the trap while Ryakovic was under Taylor Jenkins, so he must adopt everything that Jenkins did at his new stop. But I don't know about you, but if you're in a job and you're working and your boss is doing something um, and you might be like, what are, you, what are you doing? Like, I don't agree with this at all. Same way that we look at Adrian Griffin going to Milwaukee. Will he nurse it or will he have his own ideas? But it's your boss. You can't just say, hey, bro, this is stupid. Can you change this? You might be sitting there going, this guy's an idiot. I can't wait till I get my chance. Or... You might be fully bought in. There's almost there's almost no way of knowing that, right? But I would guess, given the Memphis Grizzlies' regular season success and the way that it's been used and developed their players and gotten a lot out of them, the Darko might lean a little bit towards that Taylor Jenkins style. At the very least, I would be absolutely stunned and shocked if Siakam's playing 38 a night. We also don't know what's going to happen defensively because Nick Nurse would play with everyone six foot nine. No real rim protection, so they just go crazy trying to hound for steals. That's how Gary Trent turned into from a putrid steals guy in Portland to a very high steals guy. And Ananobi's always up in the league leaders of steals. Do we change that defensive scheme? Do they play more drop now that Yucca Pirtle's there? And they don't put that much pressure on the uh, on the perimeter or that aggressive level of uh, hounding defense? I don't know. That is what we need to watch out. But when we come into a season with Nick Nurse as the coach, we knew. Steals are going to be high. Minutes are going to be high. The bench is going to be cooked. And we can't we can't have that level of confidence here with a new coach. 
The other pressure point is, is Scotty Barnes going to be the starting point guard? And how well or poorly is that going to go? If they start with him at point guard and they just have an offensive rating as 100, well, maybe they have to make a move. And then Dennis Schroeder comes in and runs things. And maybe Barnes's lack of shooting and not being the top-end playmaker limits him running as a point guard. Do they even start with it? How long does it last? Does it work? Spectacularly, it could. But that's the thing that we we just we, we don't know at this point. We need to wait to see how that pans out. Today's episode is brought to you by DoorDash. Not DoorDash restaurant food delivery. You know about that. You've done it. Plenty of times, I'm sure. You want to get yourself some chicken, ten, chicken tendies, some nuggos. They all come in and you get them delivered to the door. They do other things now. You can get DoorDash grocery delivery. The best grocery stores right across the country. Straight to you. The best local ones. You choose them. You help to support the local economy. And you're out there. You're whipping stuff up. You're in the kitchen. It's it's like one of those cartoons where there's just batter dripping off the roof because you're whisking so hard. And you go, my God, I have run out of eggs. Where are my eggs? And you go, I can't leave. I've got this bloody thing in the oven. I've got to check it every five minutes. I know DoorDash grocery. The bloke will go in from DoorDash into the grocery store, grab your eggs, whatever else you need. If there's issues, they substitute it through in the app. And they bring it straight to your house, bang, cake's ready, everyone loves it, you're the hero. I've never dreamed about that scenario before, but I imagine that's what would happen. You get 50% off your first DoorDash order, up to a $20 value when you use the code LOCKEDONNBA at checkout. It's a limited time offer, terms apply, that's 50% off, up to $20, no minimum subtotal, and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store or enter the code LOCKEDONNBA. Don't forget, the code is LOCKEDONNBA for 50% off your first order with the old DoorDash. If you're going to get upset about contradictions, here's one for you to do, because I do think that Scott Barnes is a breakout candidate this season. What do I mean by breakout candidate as we do the 27th team in this team preview series? Um, I think there is a chance that he exceeds what I think he's going to do. I'm very conservative on Barnes. I'm not as big on him as other people are. He did take some steps backward last season, although as we'll talk about, he's going under the lens later. As we talk about, maybe those steps backwards aren't as big as it may have, may have seemed. Um, but what if it actually does click? Year three, he learns to shoot somewhat respectively. He actually thrives in a high usage point guard role. The defensive numbers come back. It's all the ifs there, but it could happen. And all the same thing could happen that Barnes actually fails in that role. And Dennis Schroeder has to play 33 minutes a night. And we get seven assists and 19 points and two threes out of him. Now, he has pulled back on some of his gunner mentality issues. And the shooting's bad, but he's turned into a pretty solid defensive player. But part of the reason he went to Toronto, apparently, is that Darko Ryakovic and him were having that chat. And so, Dennis, blow. Blow? Blow. What did I say that? Bro. Um, come. You're going to start. You're going to put up good stuff, good numbers. Which is always that, you know, where do we go with Schroeder and Barnes? But he could easily exceed what I expect. And the same goes for Gary Trent, because it's the same thing. At the moment, I expect that Trent comes off the bench. Trent came off the bench last season. Gary Trent's value is tied in specifically to steals and threes and big minutes. And two of those things are at genuine risk of going down, steals and big minutes. But what if it doesn't? What if Schroeder plays 24 minutes off the bench, Trent's a starter, plays 34, has 20 points, three and a half threes, two steals? Well, that's well exceeding what I expect of him. I obviously don't expect him to do that, but I'm not going to say it's impossible. Who's going under the lens? Scotty Barnes, a guy that was probably a little bit overdrafted last season, fair to say, 
But I also think some of the hatred of his second season is maybe going a little bit too far. He was 62nd in Yahoo Points Leagues last season. Okay. Was that a disaster? No. He was 65th in ESPN Points Leagues. Is that a disaster? No. In minus one ranks for head-to-head category leagues, he was 82nd. That's probably more of a disaster because he was going in some drafts I saw in the 40s, which I don't actually remember where I had him, but I'm pretty confident given my hatred of Scott Barnes. I wouldn't have had him in the 40s, probably more 55-60, and it would have been okay. But of course, I'm not everybody. He played 35 minutes. He averaged just 15 points and under a three. There's already a couple of red flags there. Six and a half rebounds, five assists, 1.1 steals, 0.8 blocks, 46 and 77 as he's shooting and shot 28% from three. So there's very obvious areas that he can improve, but the question's going to be, like, can he improve? Like, he can improve them, but actually does he have the ability to improve them? Low usage, low threes, bad percentages. For a guy that's a good defender, he's not providing elite defensive numbers. They're good, but they're not elite. And then is the assist actually going to spike significantly? Again, he is considered this elite defensive sort of player, but I don't think that's really played out over the first two years. I think he's been okay. And especially for fantasy, look at how many like, is it? Oh, man, so many things I found out about the steals category in fantasy recently really shook, shooks me, shocks me, or sh- has me shook. That's what I was trying to say. Look at the, these numbers are low, man. Like this guy averaged 1.1 steals a game. Okay. That's like above average. It's a positive in the Z scores. But it just means it's so little. It means it doesn't mean anything. Four, two, three, three, four, two, two, two steals. That's his steals for the first 10 weeks of the season. There's a seven, two, seven steal weeks in there. There's a nine steal week, but it's just five, two, four, one, four, three, three, nine, two. Two steals in a week. Like These are such low volume numbers. It's nothing against Barnes. It's just the nature of the steals stat. Might as well drop the, the thing that I did now, I saw now on Basketball Monster. So I was trying to work out projected standings and what sort of gap you'd like to have to be confident of a win. All right, so I looked at the steals category and a team had a combined Z-score of steals of 1.1 and another team had a combined Z-score of 0.7. Okay, both positives, 1.1 versus 0.7. You look at that and go, I'll, I'll win steals against this guy. That's a sizable gap, yeah? Um if every player on your team, all 13 players played four games, well, yeah, it was actually what I did was made it 50 games for the week. I think I did. Made it 50 games for the week um, and just, you know, times it through that. And that 1.1 Z score versus 0.7 Z score, the steals, the difference over the course of a week was four. It was four. So you look at that guy, I'm going to win it, right? The Z scores are great. It's great. But four steals. Yeah, easy that is to overcome. How easy that is to have someone have a great week or how easy it is for someone to have a bad week or someone to stream that in and beat you. Incredibly easy. So when we, I, I have instinctively always downweighted steals in my rankings because of this fact, but I'm doing a lot more work on finding the data on it. Like it's just, you, you have to be really focused on making your team super, super strong in steals because even something that looks like it's a huge win. Now over the course of the season, four steals in a week, 24 weeks in a Roto uh, League, you're talking almost 100 steals difference between you with that 1.1 Z score total and the guy at 0.7, which is a very comfortable victory, 100 steals for a season. But in a week, it's four. That's You shouldn't feel comfortable with that at all. So unless you're real good at steals and real good at it, these 1.1s don't mean anything. Like they're, they're okay, but it's low volume, man. Be careful. I know that was a little bit of a tangent, but I do think it's relatively important. Barnes' assist, that is one of the straightest trend lines I've seen on any of these graphs. 
He's basically just doing the same thing every week. 15 to 18 assists per week. He averaged under five a week. They're, they're not big numbers. They're okay numbers. Average is about 3.9. So he's above that, clearly. A couple of little spike weeks there of 25. And he should do more of that this season. Dennis Schroeder is not necessarily going to just one-for-one replace Van Vliet. But Siakam gets a lot of assists, and there's a chance Siakam beats Barnes again in assists per game. I'd expect Barnes' assists to go up, but all through the season, that's just relatively consistent numbers. Consistency is good, but they're not super strong. His free throw percentage. Yeah, that's a disaster. Free throw percentage is so variable year on year second only to steals, and week on week, it's all over the shop. He had one, two, three, four, five weeks where he was a 100% free throw shooter. He had, what's this number here? 60. One, two, that's 50 actually. No, one, two, three, four, five weeks under 70%. So what are you getting out of him? Well, the answer is, oh, I've got no idea. Can he improve that? We know that he came into the league as a bad shooter, he was a bad shooter as a rookie. He's a bad shooter as a second-year player. There's very clearly room to improve in a lot of these areas. But it could also be that he just doesn't. And with that level of inconsistency, some good weeks there, for sure, which is a positive sign too. But it's also one of those ones where you just got to be really careful about thinking that he's going to get to the line a ton or improve a lot there. This all sounds like it's shit on Scott Barnes' time. It's not. Because his minus one rank shows some positive things. There's some bad weeks in there, but... There's also a little run here in the middle of the season where he was 48th, 30th, 8th, 20th, 30th, 50th, sorry. A couple of other top 20 weeks in the season. That's pretty strong. There's also some bad ones of 170, 160, 150. A lot of inconsistency despite the high minutes. um, And that's going to be the issue here. Now, I do expect that Barnsley is going to take on more usage without Van Bleet, more assist opportunities this season. The problem you do run into is someone gets more usage and they are a bad field goal and free throw percentage guy is that the negative impact they have on your team is larger. So you get that more usage, and it probably hurts you more than it helps you in some cases. He might average 18 points a game. and In fact, I think that's reasonable for him to do that this season. What have I got him at? I've got him at, yeah, 18 points. And and maybe probably over six assists. But do his percentages improve enough to make it so that they're not gigantic negatives? It's possible. It's possible. I say all of this. There's a lot of negatives in that. I say all of this to say that we looked at Barnes as being a guy that was pretty down last season. His Darko DPM graph change doesn't really indicate that. So he started out his rookie season really high, really high. And the rate of improvement slowed and slowed and slowed until it started to regress a little bit. He had that little peak at the end of the season where he improved, which is what won him rookie of the year. Don't care what you say. That's what won him rookie of the year. Then the beginning of last season, again, this sort of sticks in our mind. He struggled. He was looking quite poor and he was declining. After about a third of the way through, consistent improvement. And we forget about that. You look at Barnes' terrible disappointment from last season. He wasn't. He had some bad stretches, for sure. But he got better as the season went on. And happens a lot with second and third year guys, if they don't you know, just have giant leaps from year one to year two and two to three, that we sort of forget about them. And we can build some narratives around them. Barnes is totally adequate as a player. I don't see him as an all-NBA future player at all. Maybe he makes an all-star game. Wouldn't even say that's guaranteed. But I think some of the negativity around Barnes is maybe a little bit, maybe pushed a little bit too high. Let's have a look at the basketball index headshot plot. Two things there. On-ball percentage. 
the percentile of that is on the y-axis and playmaking talent, one of their grades. Because what's we want to know, we think that he's going to play more at point guard and we want to see how it sort of worked in terms of him being on ball last season. I've included his competition for that role in Dennis Schroeder on this graph. I've included Fred Van Vliet, the former point guard on this graph. I've included another tall non-shooting point guard um, in Josh Giddy, another tall non-shooting point guard in Ben Simmons, and another tall poor shooting not really a point guard, but initiate it in Paulo Banquero on this graph. So I think they're all similar-ish enough archetypes to talk about. What I want you to get from seeing Van Vliet on here is that Van Vliet's on-ball percentage was 90th percentile, and that's gone. So somebody is going to have to take more of that. Schroeder was at about 82.5%, 83% or 83rd percentile for on-ball last season. Barnes was at around 75. So he didn't. he wasn't on-ball... Um, anywhere near as much as Van Vliet. But there's opportunities there. Now, Schroeder ran with the ball a lot more than Barnes. So I think both of those guys can get jumps, but it's not just a quick guarantee that Barnes moves up to the level on ball that Van Vliet was. But in terms of pure playmaking talent, Barnes graded higher than Bunkero. That's not a surprise. He graded higher than Schroeder. A little bit of a surprise. He graded higher than Ben Simmons. It was a bad season for Simmons, obviously, but yeah. He was behind Giddy and he was behind Van Vliet. And interestingly, Giddy actually played on ball playing next to Shea and Jalen Williams more than what Barnes did, who was in a smaller role with Van Vliet and Siakam there. So what I want to take out of this is that there is some playmaking ability here for him to really ramp that assist number up. He's got also, Van Vliet was on the ball so much that there are opportunities, but it doesn't mean they're all going to Barnes because Schroeder is going to have that chance too. So I'm giving a level of optimism around Barnes. I'm also going to shoot that down later on. I'm level of optimism around Barnes that there is big room for improvement this season, but it's not a guarantee. That, look, again, I'll have him in a certain area. Someone go, well, he's going to be 26 usage and have the ball in his hands all the time. And I don't think it's going to be that degree. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be quite at that area. I actually think the sleeper on this team is the big fella. It's Jakob Pertl, who... Last season, had some struggles in San Antonio. What he was able to do, though, was improve his assist numbers quite a bit. He actually averaged almost three assists per game last season, which is a fairly good feat for a bloke like that. 1.2 blocks, a steal, 12 points, nine rebounds in under 27 minutes. He didn't play the full Nick Nurse 35 minutes when he came across. There was mainly 30 minutes a night was sort of his sort of his role in Toronto. Um, I just think he's being underrated. And I think part of it is he's just a horrendous free throw guy. Now, He's not as bad as he was two years ago when he was like at 40%. He was at 59 last season. It is it is limited attempts. But we all know in a category league that you can just punt that and you just pair him with Sabonis or with Giannis or with a bunch of high free throw guys because he doesn't impact them that negatively. And that dra- drops him down the rankings and people get like, eh, well, I don't want to take him there. He's ranked at 79 on Yahoo. He's got an ADP of 84, an ADP on fan tracks of 76. And I think for category leagues and for points leagues, he clears that 15, 20 spots, I think, relatively comfortably. I don't think there's any risk of guys like Achua or Boucher or Coloco limiting him to a 25-minute starter. I, I don't think that's going to happen. Those minutes from last season, the 26 and a half that he played over the course of the year, Jakob Pertl, I think they have to go up. On ESPN, he's ranked at 69 on points leagues. Um, that's probably, it's not too high. That's probably bang on. But for categories, is at 82 and his ADP is at 89. And there's just tremendous value right across the board there for Jakob Pertl. 
the secret question to put your name onto the list for the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Bowl is Utah. Because I should have told you the question first. The answer is Utah. The question is, what college did Jakob Pertl go to? And the answer is Utah. So just write Utah as a secret answer. And that's that'll get you there. Utah. Um, let's talk about some fantasy busts. Please don't cry. Because we are looking at Raptors hero legends, Pascal Siakam and Scott Barnes. This is, again, not to say that they are bad players. This is not to say they can't exceed this. I just think that the position that they're put in is a little bit too high for fantasy. That's how I'm viewing it. Let's start with uh, Shaquem, who's got a rank on Yahoo at 27. That is very high. Last season for minus one in category leagues, 51st. Very high. Siakam, last season for points leagues, 19. So you can see that I've crossed off the points one. He's at 27 for a points league on Yahoo, 25 on ESPN. Easy, smash it. Fine second round pick. Love him for points leagues. But he played 38 minutes a night last season. Again, even if we think that Darko's not going to fully reduce everything and go full Taylor Jenkins, seems pretty unlikely. He's, oh, sorry, he played 37.3. Seems pretty unlikely he's playing those minutes, right? He's probably going to drop one or two down. Uh, that would be fair. So ranking him at 27, that's just going, well, Van Vliet's gone. Siakam's taking every shot. And I just don't think that's the case. He's also a guy that tends to have, look, 24, 8, and 6 is what he averaged last season. That's really good. It is really good. But he Julius Randle his way to, that's not fair because Randle was worse than this, 0.9 steals, 0.5 blocks, 48 from the field, okay. 77 from the line, below average. And part of the problem with those average numbers, like the 48 or 77, which are close to average, close to being neutral categories in fantasy, is that when you do them on high volume the way that Siakam does, is that that's an average. And that goes over the course of the season. So you have a week where he might shoot 52%, really good on high volume, boosts you up enormously. There's a week where he's at 45 and it kills you. So part of building a fantasy team also is part of like, how, how do I feel confident in how my team looks? So and this is something I'm just, it's just sort of coming to me now, is that when you're looking at guys who are high volume, but average or close to average shooters, it really takes away tons of your reliability. If they're a bad shooter, you know sort of what to do and how to, if they're a good shooter, you know what to do, you know how to, and if they drop from a 55% guy to 51, it doesn't hurt you as much. It hurts you a little bit, but it doesn't hurt you as much. If you're a bang on 49 and a half average field goal player taking 18 shots a game and you have a good week, then it's great. Everything changes, but then you've got to have it, you have bad weeks and bad stretches and that's going to just take that category away. So that average number is, I don't know if it's the most dangerous, but it's close to it given the variability. I just think that Siakam, whose ADP is 30 on Yahoo, 33 on Fantrax, 36 ranking on ESPN, 27 ADP. If you're taking him there in a category league, I just, I don't, I don't know how it gets significantly better in his steals, blocks, threes, or percentages. Usage, maybe yes. Assists, maybe yes. Rebounds, probably no. Because he didn't play all season with Pirtle. He played at center a lot. So, I like Siakam. If I'm getting him in round four, hate it if I'm doing it at the start of round three, end of round two. Hate it. Unless it's in points leagues, and then I like it. And the same for Barnes. I've just gone ahead and told you that I think maybe we're a little harsh on his season, but he's getting ranked at 50. 
56 ADP fan tracks, 55 Yahoo, 47 rank on ESPN points. Again, that's just saying that both of these guys are just going to take everything from Van Vliet and no one's replacing anything else. It's just a big step forward. Now, in a Yahoo points league, Barnes at 50 is actually okay. I'm fine. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, no problem with that. I just think at a category league, a rank of 50, I mean, some people will take him round four. I don't really see the upside for it. He could get there for sure. But I don't think there's any upside in it. I think he's more of a round six, round seven type of player, which would be a step up from last season where he was outside the 80s. I'm just not sure I want to put money or theoretical money or theoretical pride or whatever. Pride is always theoretical, I guess. I don't Too full of philosophical. On Barnes improving that much. I don't want to do it. So he's a bust at those spots. Bust does not mean bad. Injuries. Otto Porter played about two minutes last season. He should be back. But of course, we can't trust him to be healthy at all. His presence makes it very interesting because your bench, like it has been in the past, is just all forwards. It's Porter, it's Boucher, it's Achua, it's Young. There's Coloco in that mix as well. Now, there is at least some dick in that bench that we can maybe utilize and maybe Trent's in that second group as well. But the roster is still, I think, horribly constructed. And you can make the argument that if we go back two years ago, out of everyone on that bench, like Otto Porter is very clearly the best player. He was very important to that Warriors championship run. And he's, I would say he's clearly, can't trust it because it was two years ago, clearly better than Boucher, clearly better than Precious, clearly better than Thad Young at his point in his career, um, clearly better than Coloco. I would say better than Trent, better than a rookie in Grady Dick. Um, Jalen McDaniel's debatable. I think Jalen's pretty good. But if he's even available to play 20 minutes, then the whole rotation, who the hell knows what happens then? He's a very useful player, Otto Porter. But I don't know how it fits in or how much he can actually play. It's time to talk about trades because we hear about these dickheads in trades all the time. And it never happens. So I'm just going to throw Ojen Anobi on this list as maybe a player they trade away. And I'm going to guess they'd get back a non-shooting six foot nine forward. Because that's what they signed this season. I know they didn't draft one in Dick and then they didn't... Um, and they signed Schroeder, but they also brought in Jalen McDaniels. So that's a little bit of me taking the piss, but they just need guards. They need actually a real point guard. I Shredder is fine. Barnes, I don't think is that guy. They need someone real in that position, but I just don't think they're going to do it. It could be Siakam. It could be Trent. It could be Barnes. It could be Achua. No, it won't be Barnes. There's just so many guys that it could be. I forgot to change the top there. I should say contract, yep. Um, and I don't even have Ananobi on this list because he's got a player option, which I assume he declines. But Siakam's unrestricted. Gary Trent's unrestricted. Otto Porter's unrestricted. Thad Young's unrestricted. Malachi Flynn is restricted. Just absolutely buried in Toronto. And Achua is restricted. So could they lose all of those guys? I guess so. It hasn't been a good track record for them. It's just the, the problem with uh, this team is that I think they should do something, much like Chicago, their fellow Eastern Conference red and black team. They think they should do something to try and choose a direction, but they don't. So there's a lot of question marks around this entire team. As for Trent, again, he gets hyper overrated because he has like 0.5 turnovers a game. And the reason he has 0.5 turnovers a game is because he averages like 1.5 assists. Is that unfair? Maybe, because I'm just going to actually look at the number. Ah, you know what? It was a little unfair. He averages 1.6 assists. That's why he gets low turnovers but that boosts him up those rankings to make him look like this awesome fantasy player. And let me give you a quick tip. He's not. 
The steals are really nice, but already illustrated the problem with over-reliance on steals. He can hit threes, but Trent also played 32 minutes a night last season, 17.5 points, 2.5 threes, 2.5 rebounds, 1.6 assists. The 1.6 steals are nice, but 43 from the field on high volume also hurts. I am very much down on Trent. I could have had him as a bust as well because I just I don't think he's going to start. But also, he's not ranked as high as I thought he would be. I thought he'd be people taking him in the 90s. But he's going late, which is absolutely totally reasonable to get him in those later rounds. I don't love him at 103 as a Yahoo ADP, especially in points leagues. Don't touch that. But it's not a bad idea in a category league. And then Achua, I just do not rate as a player whatsoever. One of the most out-of-control offensive guys I've seen. Um, defensively, I think he's okay, but he's just undersized to me. He's too small to be a starting center. He can't shoot or move well enough to be a starting power forward. Well, he can move okay. He's not... I, just, I don't think he's a very good player at all. Uh, Thad Young can be, but he's 36. What point is he on this team? Otto Porter, unrestricted, probably can't stay healthy. And then Malachi Flynn, they just don't believe in him at all. I was relatively interested in him in the draft, and he's clearly um, been way worse than I thought he would be. Very, very clearly. Who are the rotation risks on this team? Oh, what are the rotation risks? Well, it is the Schroeder versus Barnes. How does Schroeder play 30 minutes as a starter? Does he play 30 as a backup? Does he play 20 as a backup? Does Barnes play on ball or does that just not work and he plays off ball? So our projected uh, rise in usage or assist rate just doesn't materialize. And the other one is Trent versus Dick versus Pirtle. Because Pirtle is going to start. Trent may or may not start, but... If they do decide to go back to those small lineups where Siakam is at center, that boosts Trent. Or what if the guy they invested a top pick in, a lottery pick, in Grady Dick, is just better than Trent immediately? So this is a part of the reason, again, why I'm a little bit down on Trent. Not only is he getting attacked by Dick, but there's the Pirtle minutes, and then there's the Schroeder and Barnes situation. Because if Schroeder and Barnes start, then Trent's getting low minutes. And if Dick's equal to him, then maybe Dick gets the priority over Trent, and Trent's in the last year of his contract. It's just too many uncertainties for me around Gaz. This, I wanted to put this here in the permanent monster section because it used to be really, really true. It's not anymore for Chris Boucher, the wiki. He used to be an unbelievable per 36 player and everyone would be, oh man, Nick Nurse hates him. I hate Nick Nurse. Why won't he play him? The reason why Nick Nurse wouldn't play Chris Boucher is because Chris Boucher, he's not a particularly strong NBA basketball player. He's a reserve who used to be a solid shooter and that's gone away. He could block shots, but he'd be wildly out of position. And I saw this great thing from um, Caitlin Cooper today. who's If you want Pacers person, she's great to follow, right? She's talking about using blocks as a measure of defense and how we often do that. Hassan Whiteside, shout out to you, wherever you are. And Boucher is one of those guys who I look at this block rate, Bol Bol, another one of those. Shout out to Kendrick Perkins saying he could be defensive player of the year this season. Um, blocks are great, but it's basically like a mousetrap. Right? The idea is that mousetraps are great. right? They will get the mouse, but ideally you don't want the mouse there to begin with. That's your best defense against the mice is to not have the mice in the house. And a block is great, but you don't want to have to use it. Not having to recover to block a shot is perfect. It's ideal. You don't want to have to do that. You want to stop them getting the shot off. You want to force them into a position where it's a terrible shot, not one where you're coming across late to make that emergency play. And that's a bit what Boucher was. Out of position defensively all the time, but long arms would come in for some recovery blocks. And remember, if you block two shots a game, that's two plays out of like 50 plus offensive possessions. So the other ones, you might've got cooked on all of them. And that's part of why Boucher got heavily overrated. But he's not even a permanent monster anymore. And he's never going to play 30 minutes. Let's talk about the depth chart on this team. It's really hard for me to characterize what position these players play. 
I do think that Schroeder is going to start, and I do like him as a last-round pick because of that. And their backup guards are Trent, Malachi Flynn, and then Javon Freeman-Liberty, a good scorer, and Marquise Noel, who's on a two-way, who's just too small to be in the NBA. Sorry, Marquise, who wants to be the greatest Raptor of all time. I, yeah, no, absolutely no way. Trent, final last pick. Schroeder, final of the late rounds, no problem. Flynn, maybe the new coach unlocks something, but I don't know. I'm, I'm very discouraged with what I've seen from him. On the wings, uh, I'm classing Grady Dick as a wing. I don't think they're going to start a true wing on this team. But to me, a wing is someone who's like a shooting guard, small forward type player. And while Barnes would have to fit into that position, and I don't think he is, and I don't think Ananobi's actually a wing either. I think they're all forwards, but we'll get to that in a sec. Ron Harper and Garrett Temple. Yes, Garrett Temple is on this team. Why, I don't know. I do know. It's for his locker room stuff. But just employ the bloke. Just make him a player welfare officer or something. There's no reason for him to be on this roster as an actual player. The Fords they're going to start. Barnes and Anobi haven't really spoken much about the Jedi here. I think OG is... There's some risk of him going too high, but it really depends because he's ADP on ESPN's 93, and that's clearly ludicrous. Right, That makes not a single drop of sense for him to be at that spot. His rank on ESPN points is 87. That's actually not bad. He's not he's not really a great points league guy. But an ADP overall will skew your, your thoughts on him. Um, again, I, I do think, or on like, he's a huge bust as well on Yahoo for points too. He's ranked at 46 and he's just not going to be that guy, I don't think. It's always hard to rely upon guys to lead the league in steals back-to-back years. Now, he's a very good steals player. How much of that is Nurse? I don't, not no, no. He is a very good defensive player and very good steals player. How much of him leading the league in steals was Nurse in the system versus him going from the best steals guy to the 10th steals guy and losing point two a game because of a change in scheme or a minute or two loss? I just wouldn't want to be investing. Like on Yahoo at the moment, they've got Siakam, Barnes, and Ananobi all inside the top 50. That's too much, mate. I, I just They can't all do it. They can't all do it, I don't think. The backups at forward, Jalen McDaniels. I like Jalen McDaniels, but there's no real path for him to get big minutes here. And then there's Otto Porter. And the bigs, I've got Siakam and Pirtle. And then backing them up, Achua, Boucher, Thad Young, and Christian Coloco. And that, good fellows of Canada and everyone else playing fantasy, is the end of the show. Follow this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app. No Stitcher, damn. And on YouTube, thumb it up and leave your comments down below quickly though. Do you think, honestly, do you actually think that I hate Canada? Do you think that I'm biased against these players because they play for the Raptors? Or do you, like, I would I would think that the comments that I've made on these guys is rooted in reality. Because I'm telling you now, there is literally nothing that I hate about Canada at all. Nothing. I loved being in Canada. I love Canada. No, nothing at all. But because I am not as hyped on these guys, some people think that I am. But let me know, am I just being unreasonable? Bell, thumb, write something, we're done. Guys, thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.